We are continuing on through our uh, Church 101 series. Um, if you've only been with us for a couple of months, this is abnormal for us to uh, have a series like this. In a couple of weeks, we will be doing more of our normal thing. We'll be in the book of uh, 1 Peter. And so I would encourage you to uh, go ahead and begin to read 1 Peter. Um, a, just really interesting how God works. Uh, the youth are going through 1 Peter right now as well. And so I, I would just encourage you, especially if you are the parent of a teenager, of a youth, to begin to, to read that, uh, go through the book of 1 Peter, ask your kids questions, ground them if they don't know, remember what Damon taught them. No, don't do that. But just to be a place to where your home is the place where that discipleship of your, your young one, your youth, that's the main place for that. And this is just a great way as we're going to journey together through the book of 1 Peter to... Uh, to begin to do that. So, this morning, um, when you take a subject like the Lord's Supper, uh, man, you can go in many different directions. And, and I just want to say this morning, my heart is full, really digging into the Word and, and looking at the Lord's Supper. Um, this morning, we're not going to talk about, we may touch on a historical debate, but it's going to be much less about that. Because what I'm hoping that happens, what I want to lead us and guide us to, is that when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, that we will be overwhelmed with what we are doing. That we will truly understand when we come to this table what that is symbolizing and what is taking place. It's by no accident that we started, uh, that last week we covered uh, baptism, this week we go into the Lord's Supper, because in many ways the Lord's Supper is a continuation. Uh, baptism is, the, is seen as the kind of the entry right into the family of God. It should be the first thing that a believer does is to become baptized, and, and that is seen as the, the entrance into the church, and it's done once, except in cases like John's testimony where he was baptized as an infant and felt like, hey, I, need, uh, I, I want to do this as an adult. But the Lord's Supper is something that we repeat, that we do over and over and over again. And you're going to see the, the why and the, the symbolism in that. Now, one of the things that I want you to hear from the very, very beginning is that when we come to this table and when we partake of this table... This is a dramatization of the gospel. But not just a drama. I want you to get this. There's a beautiful picture here. Not just a drama where we are sitting in an audience and watching something take place in front of us. But this is a dramatization of which we take in our hands the elements that we touch, that we smell that we taste and it is a symbol of something that is very very deep and meaningful and so my prayer as we're walking forward through this is that God would just begin to open your eyes so much so that I would love for you to have almost a sensory overload as we partake of the supper together uh, at the end of the service. Now, as, as we look in the Bible, there are, we're going to go through all of them in a, in a moment, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we get a very similar formula. 
of Jesus the night before he was betrayed, or the night as he was betrayed, that he institutes the Lord's Supper with his disciples. And then in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, you actually probably need to have your finger in both places because we're going to be going back and forth. But in 1 Corinthians, we see what we see. This is an important text for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons that's very important is that we see that the early church had started taking the Lord's Supper um, regularly as they gathered together. I just want you to look at a couple of verses and point out just a couple of things. Look at verse 23. Notice what Paul is writing here. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took the bread. So we see the church is doing that. And what is interesting here is that Paul says, um, I received this from the Lord. We don't really know did Paul have a vision? Is this something we don't was this something he just garnered from the disciples? We don't know. But the important thing is is that Paul is speaking authoritatively here. And then in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so the goal, what we see, is that this is something that the church should be doing, that Jesus instituted, and it became very important. And the church, ever since the very beginning, Christian churches have been celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so I want you to see, I want you to see that there's this unfolding of this picture of the Lord's Supper. And, And first, I want to spend just a little bit of time in the Old Testament we could deep dive here and it would be great, but we're not going to do that. We're going to kind of hover above, but I want you to see some pictures that I think that we are meant to see when we think about the Lord's Supper. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but in the garden, you've thought about this, in the garden, God said what? Adam, you can eat, partake, eat, any tree in the garden except one, right? And so sin entered into the world because Adam and Eve took of that one tree in which they were not supposed to eat of and they ate. What an amazing picture. What an amazing picture. When God in the flesh comes and He dwelt among us and on the night as Jesus was betrayed where He was going to the cross to put an end to the curse that was set forward by that first eating, that on that night, Jesus with His disciples, once again, we have the God of the universe saying what? Eat. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of that broken fellowship that happened in the garden that Jesus is saying on the night that He was betrayed, no more. You can have fellowship with the Father once again. All throughout the Old Testament, in uh, festivals, and festivals were meant as a time of rejoicing and celebration and remembering the faithfulness of God. We have the people with most of the festivals. What's correlated with that is what? Eating. Eating. And they're remembering the faithfulness of God. In fact, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when He took the elements, they were celebrating Passover. They were celebrating a time when God brought His people out of bondage. And in the same way, 
Jesus with his disciples is getting them ready to celebrate when he is going to bring them out of ultimate bondage to sin and death. And it marks God has done it. God has made a way. Another one that is very deep and significant is the the whole idea in the Old Testament of sacrificial meals. That the priests, when they were going in to offer atonement, when they were going in and offering a sacrifice, uh, you know if you've read this passage of Scripture any time recently, that the priests were to take some of that offering to set aside for themselves, and they were to take and eat of it. There's so much here. That Jesus, that Jesus, who has become the ultimate sacrifice, He is our ultimate high priest, by taking a part of that sacrifice and offering it to these men, He is saying, you no longer need a mediator. Your relationship with God has been restored, is going to be restored. What a beautiful picture In the Old Testament. And we could stay here forever. Even the language that we have in the Gospels. That Jesus uh, uses. Where he says. This is the my blood. Signifying the what? The covenant. Jesus is wanting his disciples. To think back. And to take. And to drink. Now. Not only do we see. Do we have this Old Testament uh, this, this big biblical narrative, this theme. But we also see in the New Testament, there's this unfolding picture that I'm going to really get into in a minute. But I just want you to see that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have almost identical accounts of, of what happened on this night. Right? It's the night that he was betrayed was Passover. Uh, verse 26 of Matthew 26 tells us why they were eating. Jesus took some of the bread... And after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to, my, to his disciples and he said, take and eat. Then in verse 27 and 28, in, in all the accounts as well, and when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 29, all accounts have this as well. The language of the kingdom is just a little different in all of them, but it's the same point. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And what we see, and we're going to get into this in a minute, but what we see as Jesus is telling his disciples and as he is instituting the Lord's Supper and he is having this with him, he is drawing their attention, and we're going to linger over this in a moment, but he is drawing their attention to this is the blood of my covenant. There's this past thing that you need to remember. Take my body and eat. There's this present reality of Jesus with them. And there's this future reality to the Lord's Supper as well. Of one day you will eat with me again in the kingdom of God. Now, one of my favorite, um, just because it's so dramatic, um, one of my favorite instances and, and passages about the Lord's Supper is John chapter 6. And I don't know if we... Jesus, in John, John doesn't have this Passover supper in his narrative where the disciples are sitting down. He, he does reference the Lord's Supper. And uh, to, to find what I find a little... It's just interesting here. Jesus drops a bomb on people. 
and it's kind of countercultural to how we do church because kind of what was happening was Jesus was performing these miracles and he was teaching and all these people were coming out to follow him and were checking him out. And the, the good megachurch pastor, you know, is tempted to lower the bars and standards, not to shock people, to keep people in so more people are coming. And Jesus does something like this. So notice there's no context here. The Lord's Supper had never taken place. He had not broken the bread, poured the wine. None of this had happened. And notice what Jesus says in John chapter 6, 53. Uh, Yeah, John chapter 6, starting in verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Now, here's the reality. If we didn't have any context for this, like these folks, what would you do? This is weird, right? That's what I would expect. And what I find amazing about this account is we go a little further and we see his disciples, and this is the point. As a result, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of life. This beautiful picture, this beautiful picture of this weird thing that I can't help but imagine as they were at that supper, maybe they recalled this moment. Maybe this is one of those things that the resurrected Lord, as he was walking with them, said, hey, remember when I said that really weird thing and everybody left? You get it now? You get the connection? But what you have his disciples saying, and this will be important for us in a minute, is where else would we go? We don't understand this, but where else would we go? So those are the Gospels. So the Gospels describe kind of what it is. But 1 Corinthians, we also have an account of the Lord's Supper that we've been reading from. And, and this kind of talks about the, 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 the Lord's Supper in practice. And really this is Paul coming along and in some sense regulating the practice of the Lord's Supper. It is so helpful that we have this. And, you know... Uh, the church at Corinth is an interesting place. <laughs> um, it would have been probably a nice place to visit um, because of what we see some of the descriptions of people coming drunk to the church, to the Lord's Supper, and I guess pushing one another out of the way and uh, all kinds of interesting things going on here to say the least. But a couple of things that I want to point out from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The first is notice this. In verse 20 it says, when you meet together. When you meet together. That what we see in 1 Corinthians is that this was the Lord's Supper was taking place in a context of the gathering of the church. And what we're going to see in Paul, and it's very important, is that the partaking of the Lord's Supper isn't just Lewis's um, relationship with the Lord. It's vitally important and it's here. It is, it, is, it is here. But the other part about that is that the Lord and the Holy Spirit, as He inspired Paul to write, not only did He have that vertical relationship in mind, but He also had in mind this horizontal relationship of the togetherness of the church. It's part of body life. There's this communal aspect to it. 
Look at verses 18 through 22 with me. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which you eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. That there were division, there were divisions, and those divisions had even made their way into the practices of the Lord's symbol. Lord's Supper, not symbol. (laughs) The Lord's Supper. And look at verses 27 and 29, and... uh, Many, a lot of commentators, a lot of um, uh, folks who, who look at these verses believe that there is a word play going on here. And the word play is the whole word, the word body. And so I want you to hear and see if you can catch a glimpse of the word play here. Starting in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body in the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So, so in, in talking here, Paul using this word and, and the picture that I think he is bringing to mind to these folks who are here in Corinth is that when you are coming together and eat, eating in an unworthy manner is, is partaking of it when there are divisions among you. He's talking about the unity of the body here. And he says, if the body is not unified, it is not good for you to take part to partake of the body of Christ. And so I don't know about you, but I have been in many churches in my life where before the elements are passed out, that there is the call to examine yourself. And a lot of times the examination is, is there any sin in your heart? And the problem is, yes. Right? What Paul is getting at here is that he is saying here, and this is so important, Paul is saying is that partaking of this cup is symbolizing our unity in Christ. And so if there are divisions among you, examine yourself and take care of that so that when you partake of the body of Christ, you are doing so in a healthy fashion, which means that you're doing so with a a pure heart and pure mind towards your brothers and sisters in the Lord in the body. Very important. Now, so, what I want to do now is then go and and talk about two, there's many more, but two vital keys, I think, when thinking about and partaking of the Lord's Supper emerge. And and the first one I'm going to talk about is remembrance, and the second one uh, 
that we'll talk about in a, in, in a minute is, is eating, in a, uh, eating it in, in the right way. And this, this talking about remembrance is probably what, as I was studying this, has impacted me the most this, this week. And so I, I would love it if you just could tune in and focus and see from this text what the Lord would have for us. And so let's jump back over to uh, the book of Matthew. Now, remember I did say that it was Paul who, he added the statement, but he said he got it from the Lord, do this in remembrance of me. This was the Pauline addition to this. However, I think inherent in Jesus' statements to us is this whole idea of remembering. So I think it is here in this text as well. So notice this. I think there are three things that we need to, that, that we're asked to remember. The first thing that we're asked to remember is this, is what God has done. And this would be different from the disciples and us, right? The disciples were there. They were eating. And Jesus says, you know, this is the blood of my covenant. And I think what he's calling to their mind, remember the faithfulness of God. And if you've read, if you read your Bibles, if you've read the Old Testament, the thing that happens over and over and over again in the Old Testament is that it says that they did what? They forgot. I just got done reading Nehemiah, and in the book of Nehemiah, you know, they had forgotten. You know, it was a big deal as they got the law and began to read it again. If you read the book of Judges over and over and over, it says that they forgot or they did not walk in the ways and so the lord's supper for us becomes a reminder that not only not only has god in the past but it's a reminder of what god did on the cross by sending his son to die in our place and the thing that we have to remember that needs to be at the forefront of our mind when partaking of the lord's supper is this is that you no longer have to stand and pay for your sin that because of the death of Jesus, your sin penalty has been paid. There's no greater thing to remember. Verse 28, this is the blood of my covenant. He has done it. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, there should be a sense of awe and worship and gladness. The second thing, and this is, this, this is just huge. The second thing that he wants us to remember is, brothers and sisters, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, remember that Christ is with you. Remember that Christ is with you. Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant. The new covenant, under the new covenant, those who put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ receive the Holy Spirit, and God is with us when we, when, we, when we repent of our sins, when we cry out to Him, and by faith receive Him, He is with us. And this is, partaking of the Lord's Supper is a deep symbol of our union and communion with Christ. In John chapter 6, if I would have read earlier, Jesus says this, you all know it, I am the bread of what? I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And this bread of life is so feeling, filling in us 
that our hunger ceases. It is all satisfying. We get, in Christ, we get His joy, we get His presence with us, and we get His peace. And when we eat, it is a reminder that He is with us. It's a reminder that He is with us. He has given us His Spirit. He's given us the body of people around us who possess gifts that were meant to encourage and lift us up. And we get His Word, the very Word of God. The third thing, the third thing that He wants us to remember. Did you hear it as I read in our Scripture reading in verse 29? But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day. Remember the promises of God. That there is a day, there is a day when we will partake and we will eat with our Lord and Savior. Can you even imagine this? Can you even imagine this? 1 Corinthians 3.12 says that we look in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see Him Face to face. One of the things that one theologian talked about was the little thimble of juice and the little piece of cracker. That part of the symbolism there is that it doesn't fill us. In this world, it doesn't fill us. But one day, but one day, when we are with Him and dining with Him, we will be filled. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to remember what He has done on the cross. Remember He is with us now. And to remember that one day in the future, we will dine with our Savior and we will be whole and we will celebrate for eternity. There is no greater news. The second key that I want you to to get from the text that we read earlier, that we walked briefly through, is that this is a communal activity. This is a communal activity. The body of Christ is not divided. As we take these blessings and as we sit and as we partake of the Lord's Supper, one of the things that you have to remember, if there are divisions among you, that Christ died for that brother or sister that you are in conflict with? And how dare you stand over judgment of that brother or sister to whom Christ has forgiven? We all understand this, right? When we understand the grace that has been given to me, we can extend grace to others. And we see here in the church in Corinth that one of the things that was taking place is that somebody was coming in hungry, so they're going to the front of the line and taking more than their fair share. I pray, I pray that we, we don't come in like that. The picture that we have here is that we, together, unified until He comes. So when we take and eat, that we do that not to incur judgment out of division, but in unity. Now, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to, the guys who are handing out 
the elements. I'd like for you all to come forward and have a seat. I didn't prep them for this. But come on forward, it's all right. And I think you're, we're, we're, yeah, you can come on forward. Now, one of the things that I hope that you understood by the language that I used is that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, what we are acknowledging is that Jesus did this as a symbol. You know, the, the, the big debate in the church, you know, and the, so if you were in a Catholic church this morning, uh, every service you would have a Mass. There's a large table set out, uh, and that according to Catholic doctrine and beliefs, that the physical presence of God is, that, that the elements actually turn into the body and blood of Jesus. And in a sense, you are, Christ is being re-crucified every week. That is not what we believe. We believe that it is a symbol. Early on in the Reformation, uh, Luther and Zwingli got into a, this is one of the only areas that they uh, had a disagreement over, and Luther, historically it's said that he was just pounding his fist and, he, fist, and all he would say over and over and over again is, this is my body, this is my body, this is my body. And his view of this is kind of weird. I don't really truly understand it. What we believe, what we believe is that in these elements, this is a symbol, this is a picture of the things that we have talked about today. Much like Christ said, I am the door, I am the shepherd, <laughs> that these were symbols. Now, how often at Signal Mountain Bible Church do we take the Lord's Supper and where did we get that number? Well, we tend to do it every six weeks. Um, we also do it on some special occasions, on Monday Thursday uh, service, um, normally on the Christmas Eve service. We didn't do it this year. Um, and, and some special occasions like that. One of the questions that I probably get most frequently is, can we not do it more frequent? And, and that's something that, that maybe as, as elders we need to take up and think about. Now, the other thing that, that you get is the actual elements themselves. Different churches do this in different ways, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. We use the little chalk-like wafers. One of the reasons, I don't think there's anything wrong with a loaf of bread. Uh, one of the reasons is that, uh, that we know that Jesus did this during the Passover, and so this would, they would have had unleavened bread at that time, and so it's accurate representation. We don't have wine. Um, uh, one of the interesting, well, I won't go there. Uh, we don't have wine. And there are reasons for that. And so uh, that's, th that's what we are. That, that's, the, that's the elements. And this is, this is maybe the most important that I want you to, I want you to think about. And, and, and I have just been overwhelmed by thinking about something uh, when it comes to this. The who. You know, one of the things, and different churches differ on this, um, but at Single Mountain Bible Church, we believe that the table is open to all who have placed their faith and their trust in Christ. So if you are visiting from another church and you are a brother or sister in the Lord, we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper with us. Okay? If you are not a believer in Christ, we ask that you not partake of the Supper. This isn't in judgment over you, but this is one of those things that we do as a family. Now, 
So I think what that, what that means, not I think, what that means is that an unsaved visitor or kids who have not come to a saving faith of Christ, that as parents we want to guide them through what is this and what is what is about. The elements that we pass out don't make you cooler. Like So sometimes I think little kids are like, oh, you know, I'll be seen as uncool because I'm not taking it. It has nothing to do with coolness. It also... You know, and, and I've had little ones, and I won't name names, but I've had little ones that, uh, that are, have not professed faith in Christ that would say, but Dad, I'm hungry. And I'm like, that's not the point. Read First Corinthians. No. Now, here's where my heart gets heavy. If you are here this morning and you are not a believer, if you have not placed your faith and trust in Christ, my prayer, and I'm going to pray this, is that you would be jealous to partake of this for the right reason. That you would long for a salvation, for your sins to be covered. You would long to know that no longer do you have to bear the weight of your own sins, but there is one who came, Jesus, who died on the cross to take care of your sins, that you would long for that, that you would long for a relationship with Jesus where you can have His presence and His peace and His joy in your life, that you would long, long for the fellowship of a body, a body of believers who are going to circle you and have all things in common you would long for that. And that would create a longing in you for the one day. And So if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, there is nothing greater than me, BJ, Gary, Damon, one of the elders, would love to sit down with you and talk with you, talk you through that. And we would rejoice in you following through with baptism and then sharing your first Lord's Supper with us at some point. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, if you all will stand and I'll deliver and then we will partake of the Lord's Supper together. So let's pray. Oh, great God. Oh, great God. You have made a way. You have made a way for us to be reconciled with you. And it blows our mind. God, I pray this morning, my heart is heavy on with this. God, I pray that if there is one or many among us who don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that God, your spirit would just open their eyes. that you'd give them the boldness to step out and talk to one of us or to somebody they know that is a believer. God, for the rest of us who stand and will partake of this in a moment, God, I pray, Lord, that as we partake of these elements, that, God, we will do that out of a sense of solemn rejoicing, of remembering what you've done. And, God, I pray that as we do this, that it would unify us as a body of believers. God, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.